Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's Let's hit hit the the grind. grind. Hi, I'm Menachem Pritzker, VP Growth here at Calabria. And I'm Sharon. I'm the Senior Content and Community Manager at Calabria as well. And today we're very excited to have Tisha Cable. And before I introduce her, I just want to take a quick second and say again that we're still looking for design partners for Calabria. So if you're in sales or account management, which I assume you are because you're listening to a sales and account management podcast, uh, we would love to talk to you and just get your input and give you the opportunity to tell us what to do because we need your help. So please get in touch, go to collaborate.com and you can set an appointment with me personally to speak to you and set a design partner meeting. And I'd love to get your feedback. Will we send them some swag? I think we will send them some swag. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're also open to ideas for what swag we should send you, which, which could be a really, really leave your mark on, you know, forget about the app. Tell us what swag we should be making to really make this interesting for you. Uh, We'd love that feedback. We'll start with that, I guess. Tisha Cable, our guest today, is the CEO and co-founder of C-Model. She's a board member of We Can, Women Executive Channel Advisory Network. And she's a content creator, community host, and career coach. Tisha Cable, welcome to the Customer Cafe. Well, hello. How are you doing? We're good. (laughs) How are you? So Tisha, you are an entrepreneur and your entrepreneurship has led you to found C-Model. We'd love to hear a little about that. What is that? Sure. So C-Model is a decision intelligence company and we provide DI for business leaders. So CEOs and their teams, those who usually have some responsibility to the P&L, report to the board. That's usually the group of folks who we can help the most. And what we provide them is analysis and curated recommendations, something like, you know, Netflix, but for growth growth related decisions. And so we combine data and human knowledge to do that. And we tell people what we really want to help them do is align their people, their processes, their technology and their culture to really support business growth, which, as you guys all know, is extremely hard to do. Very expensive, very time consuming and very complex. You know, right off the bat, I think there are three things that I really want to ask about this. And I'm going to lay out all three things so that we don't forget about them. All right. I want to, I want to understand from you the type of output C-Model can give a CEO or an executive that can help them with their decision-making. I want to understand the inputs, like where are you getting that data from? And I want to understand more about what design intelligence is. I've never heard that term before. Decision intelligence. Well, yes. <laughs> even so, right. I've never yeah. heard the term decision intelligence. Uh, what is that? Okay. So we'll start with what is DI. So, but I think in order for me to really explain it in super practical terms, because it can get kind of techie is I'll start with for about 20 years, um, I was an executive in companies, right. And, uh, and also worked as a consultant, helping companies to build their operational infrastructure, which includes everything from people 
process, tech, right? What are you bringing into the company? How much does it cost? What are our revenues? What are our profits at the end of the day? So managing how to do that requires you to make a certain amount of decisions. In almost all of the cases, I was reporting into a CEO and uh, who was often left kind of like, well, you're giving me these pretty charts and graphs, you're giving me this information. It's not super helpful to me. How can you actually give me information that will help me to decide what to do next. And so it was out of that experience that I started to think about um, C-Model. So while as an individual, I could provide that, you know, as a consultant, I could provide that right in my roles, I couldn't provide that at scale in any way, right? They would need mm -hmm. 20 meetings or, you know, I needed a large team, for example, in order to start really delivering that. And so, so this is why when I learned about DI and Dr. Lorian Pratt, is actually who I learned about DI from. She's actually one of our um, advisors today. It, if you take a situation where you have, a company has outcomes, right? Outcomes are set to KPIs. KPIs then have a set of things that you measure and track stuff by. And, and then you need to see, well, can we actually achieve the outcome? Is the outcome achievable? This is how DI works. It helps you to look at in a, uh, an outcome and determine whether or not it's achievable or uh, attainable based on some set of resources that you have available. And so you're so kind of starting with the goal in mind and then working backwards to the data. That's that's correct. Now, in our okay. case, though, because it's self-service decision intelligence, we, we're doing the heavy lift uh, in our case. So but most companies in the DI space today or even just in data are focused heavily on the data, right? Mm -hmm. We're focused on the combination of data and human intelligence. The two must come together in order for this to work because you can't get trust with just data. <laughs> no one just trusts the data, right? And you can't get the kind of alignment that we want you to have with just mm -hmm. data. You actually need a, a, a place where a human can interpret information and actually make a decision. So we just put the information forth in ways like a growth plan, for example, mm -hmm. that has pieces and parts, uh, like my outcomes are documented, my assumptions are documented. I get reporting of my metrics to tell me where I am. And then I get access to these curated recommendations. And that's where I get a chance to choose something and either make a change in my current plan right or or know with some level of certainty and trust whether or not i'm going to meet it so so make it make it real for us what's what's a plan that might get changed by by the inputs from your company yeah so maybe you've got a, a let's say you got a cash cycle right mm -hmm. maybe you need to have a certain amount of cash by the end of the quarter so the question becomes well how am i going to do that so you have a few different levers in order to get cash i increase my sales, right? I can fundraise. Um, I can take on, I can fundraise debt. I can fundraise equity. I can up my deal prices, right? I can change my, my pricing. I can up my average deal size. I can hire people. So it just becomes this big list of things that I could do. The question is, which one should you do and when should you do it? So if cash is the goal, and let's say it's today, and my goal is Q1, right? So March, I'm supposed to end in March. I'm supposed to have some mm -hmm. money in the March. And today is mid-February. Am I really going to pull the lever of pricing? Does that make sense? Because my sales cycle might be long, 
right? Let's say it is long. Is right. that really what I'm going to do in order to try and get this cash, right? Because I know I got to sell it. It's got to close. I got to uh, recognize, right? I got to be able to get the cash for it. So I got to bill them. And I probably got net 30 terms. So all of those things combined mean not likely that that's going to be my way through this in order to meet that particular outcome. So then, then maybe I explore the next one, which is let's try fundraising. How long will it take me to actually go out and ask somebody to give me money, whether that's equity or debt? And what's, it gonna, what's that money going to cost me? What does that do to maybe some of my other goals? Because if I fundraise on debt and now I've got a new bill, then does that impact my outcomes for later that I set aside? Well, I kind of need to know that, right? which means I need to see all my outcomes in front of me. So on that cash one, maybe that isn't the way to go. So maybe what I need is to change that plan because maybe I'm sending, I'm spending a lot of opportunity costs on people chasing dollars that we're not likely going to get on time anyway. The KPI is not achievable. So therefore I need to make an adjustment. Better for me to make that adjustment today mm -hmm. than to waste time knowing that I'm not going to make that KPI. So maybe it's not however much in cash that I thought it was going to be. It's some mm -hmm. smaller amount because I also know that if I reduce how much time I'm spending on said contractor doing this work, then maybe you know, I can continue along without that new uh, cash. So you kind of see where this goes. Yeah. So how on earth do you do this? Well, <laughs> so this is why DI is so important. So if you start with the outcome, right now, what mm -hmm. we've done is we, we say we only specialize in growth because that's the language that I speak. So my 20 year career has been helping companies to solve this problem, multiple companies, right. In different industries with different revenue types. And the levers become clear. The levers is knowing what the levers are isn't the problem for companies. It's really knowing how and when to utilize them. And in order for you to do that, data makes that information much more, much easier to do. So that's where us connecting to more than a thousand different sources, giving you visibility into a common set of metrics right, yeah. for growth ends up making a big difference. So now I'm measuring my average revenue per employee for example. So now I can look at that as a diagnostic into whether or not I'm on or off track, can it pull a lever around adding or hiring people? What's that going to do to my revenue number, for example? You can systematize a lot of the, the core pieces of levers. What lever to pull is a recommendation from us that comes from our growth experience, but then the person, the human being who understands the business in its depth is the one who pulls it. We just give you a space in order to sort of evaluate and test your hypothesis. So, so, you know, now we're, we're getting to the third of my three questions. What are the inputs that you expect from a business in order to power that engine? Yeah. Do you just so, plug it into Salesforce and let it figure out the rest? Yeah. So you plug in it, we plug it into Salesforce in your financial system. We will plug it into your productivity tools if necessary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then uh, we do some data mapping. So we have to create a common language. It's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. C-model talks in a specific language. So we take your data and information, put it in that language. And then we provide you a bunch of views. So you have dashboards essentially that give okay. you information, but not charts and graphs because we, we refuse. 
<laughs> we, mm. it's all, it's Wait, say um, more about that. Why, why? I love, <laughs> this is what everyone's leaning again, in right now. Data summaries don't actually help people to decide anything, right? It's data summaries are data summaries telling you, you got 20 of these, you got 30 of these. That's not really going to help you to decide anything, nor are, and we have observations in our system too, but basic level observations don't really tell you much either, right? Um, mm -hmm. Oh, your sales cycle is 30 days. You're the, fine, right? Like that's good. These are good inputs, but what you really need is that information to be correlated right? That information needs to be compared. So compare me to a benchmark. Now you're telling me something. Com correlate my spend against performance. Now you're telling me something. Mm. And provide me with the highlights because I'm a decision maker. I'm a business leader. So I don't need all the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. but provide mm -hmm. me with the highlights in a view that I can understand. And, mm -hmm. and now we're talking. And then our recommendation engine, which is curated from our expert exchange. Again, humans have intelligence, right? Human beings who answer questions for us on some regular cadence. And then we curate those based on where a company is. Hmm. So it is kind of a, an augmented, it's not fully artificial intelligence. It's, it's some sort of human to machine augmentation. That's correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so how can uh how can a sales heavy startup or a company that is really invested in improving their sales cycle, how can they use the insights from C model to improve their sales cycle? Yeah. So I think sales is a really interesting um use case for us, specifically because sales is usually one of the top levers, right? So when you think about, can I do something fast? Usually sale revenue is, uh, I used to have a, a mentor who would say revenue is the best deodorant or someone said that. And <laughs> so <clears throat> sales, I mean, when you think about, I'm in a pickle. So let's take our same example that we had right earlier where we talked about um, mm -hmm. cash. What are the things, even though we know that sales cycle is longer, what could we do? Well, we could discount you know, and that might shorten our sales cycle. How many, how much discounting can we bear becomes the question, right? So again, sales, because I can quickly impact things, sales becomes one of my strongest levers that I might be able to pull. I can discount, I can shorten um, deal terms, uh, right? I can give them, uh, I can make some sort of concession. There might be something that I can do to impact that if you, I'll make the cost less if you pay me faster, right? I mean, we can we can go through the the list. So I think that for a sales team, DI becomes at least for a sales leader, DI can actually be really interesting to help them. How do they utilize their teams? Like, do we keep our teams all focused on one thing, or do we create teams of specialists? How do you check that out? Like, uh, are you tracking on some specific talent of a person? Uh, on your team. Now, I'm not suggesting that those are details that would be in our tool, but they become the questions that you start asking yourself when you look at the output of the, the data, right? right. So, oh, right. John, it takes him 10 times longer to sell these kinds of deals. Maybe John should be doing these things and spending his time on these things versus the, the larger ones, as an example. Could you like input an entire sales team into the model and then just get it to spit out like 
these are the reps that should focus on bigger enterprise deals. These are the reps that should focus on small business deals. These are the reps that should be more focused on account management and, and getting renewals from current uh, customers. Can it give you advice like that? I would say, I don't want to answer that question. Yes or no, because it's not designed to do mm-hmm. that. I didn't, we don't, I didn't plug in an algorithm to say that, but there's an algorithm plugged in to say, what should their quotas be, right? Okay. And what, and which in turn means where, what kind, what they should focus on, mm. who's taking longer to do things that I would, I guess I'm going to just wholeheartedly answer that question and say that is not in the current use case design, but if I had 30 people that told me that they <laughs> need that, then we could consider it because I know what that looks like in the data. Does that make sense? Like I could well, look at- listeners, if you want that feature, then uh, you know where to go. I need a lot of people to need that. <laughs> okay. I can make that adjustment, but I would just say no. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're also just going through product development now and it's just every day it's just somebody with like you know it'd be a great feature you should do this and it's like uh i'll put that to the list you know that'll go on a post-it note and you know we'll see how we prioritize it you know being a good product manager is more saying no to 90 percent of the ideas and sticking with the 10 percent and mind you i'm a terrible that's why i have a product my co-founder jasmine howard product manager because I'm like because I imagine it I'm the CEO right so I'm yeah. I think up and it could be amazing we can do it you know come on team <laughs> and then they're like yeah no ma'am we're not it's <laughs> good it's good to have people that say no to you yes <laughs> so what's your side of the business are you more focused on like sales and marketing yeah so sales marketing and of course the initial product development came from my expertise so um, all of the the original algorithms and the layout and stuff came from me. But at this point, I've got a CTO, Dr. Russ and Jasmine, my product manager, who have uh, taken those things on. And I focus primarily on sales and uh, fundraising. So I'd love to hear about what your uh, what your sales process is like. How do you get customers? Okay, awesome. <laughs> so um, so we have we run campaigns right now. We're uh we're low tech on the uh well I wouldn't say low tech. We're just customer acquisition is relationship and I do a lot of LinkedIn stuff, reaching mm-hmm. out, uh schedule discovery calls. I double play my discovery, I I use it for customer discovery and sales. So it doesn't turn into a sales call until after the discovery part is over, which means I've asked all the like interesting product questions. So product first right now, based on the stage we are in in our company. And then if it seems like it's a good, you know, fit for us to continue, then we schedule a demo and we Mm -hmm. have a demo and then we kind of go from there. So uh, if the demo is sufficient, then they let us know that that's all driven by customer interaction. Usually you can tell if the demo isn't sufficient and then it turns back into a discovery call. <laughs> you know, you get that so little exciting point. And it's then, still yeah. pretty ad hoc. You're still figuring things out. You know, it's still the CEO making sales. Here. But for the most part, it's ad hoc because of where we are, right? We we don't have product market fit yet as a company, right? We are right. early stage company. 
we've done well, right? We have customers and we have a nice growing pipeline. We're well on our way. However, that idea of repeatable growth is not yet made real for my company. That's okay. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. But that means that we experiment with our sales process, right? We experiment with things. The difference is we use C-model though. So therefore we, our experiments are documented, right? We don't just experiment and go. We are actually like logging our assumptions. Oh, I think it's going to take me 45 days to close. So what kind of quota has C-model set for you? Oh, it's too high, right? It's really high. (laughs) Must be a bug. And I have a dual position of sales too, because fundraising is also sales. <laughs> yeah. So my quota is real big. Fundraising uh, but, is tough. No, but my my actual quota, funny enough, like for product, we we did set that using our tools. So realistically, it's based on what we know about our business today, which of course is, you know, there's some limitations that we have what our customers have been willing to pay right at this point and we have sort of what our you know double triple growth goals uh, actually are and our targets are so are right in the middle and yeah. for q1 for example they feel low but that's because we set that my time would be spent you know 20% on outbound and then you know 20% on inbound when you start doing that and breaking things down in that way you start to get realistic about what's mm-hmm. achieved I, you know, it's all like, I, I've seen it both ways in quota setting and general kind of projections and pipeline estimates. And there's just, there's the gut feeling. And then there's like, all right, let's break it down and actually work backwards. You know, how many reps do we have and what can we reasonably expect? And then build the whole thing and you end up with a totally different number and everything, you know, in your just gut, it's just like telling you like, no, that's wrong. I know better. Like, this is the way. And it just doesn't make sense. That is why what we do is so important. Again, going back to why you have Mm. to match data and human intelligence, because your gut is not to be dismissed. Your gut actually is a representation of your experience. So I know a lot of things like we built a product, right? That product is built because I had gut feelings starting off with, right? I didn't work, but- I have a strong gut feeling that it's going to work because my experience tells me that. So our gut is often driven by our experience. It is not to be dismissed. And we're never in position to capture every element of data that's going to be necessary to make that outcome 100% correct, right? So I think it's what you what we need, though, is like, I got a good set of information that starts to inform my gut, right? It becomes a part of like my getting more experience. So how you pick that up is important. This is why I say charts and graphs really aren't as useful to people because it's asking them to consume information without context, without, you know, like real, uh, without analysis. It's the analysis that the human interprets and goes, oh, okay, I understand that. I can take the parts of that that I need in order to decide. And then the rest of it can kind of stay where it is. But now I'm informed by said data that was in in this system as opposed to someone telling me that that data has to that data is everything because that data alone is not everything. That data does require our human interpretation. Right. 
when it comes to your ideal customer, it sounds like was C model built for CEOs or who are you really aiming for? Yeah. So really CEOs and their decision-making teams, I typically call them out as the folks who have P&L responsibility, usually those people who have to report to the board, right? So I'm, I'm someone who has to go stand behind my P&L at the sure. board. Yeah. I'm curious about marketing because like marketing is something that's often so opaque and, you know, I do a lot of marketing and I, you know, I think this is that famous, uh, famous quote, uh, you know, I know that half of my marketing is wasted, um, but I just don't know which half. <laughs> what sort of, uh, you know, design intelligence can we add to the marketing playbook? Is there any like effectiveness there? So I think decision intelligence can absolutely be added to the marketing playbook because at some point you have to decide who to target and when to target yeah. them who's right for you. So our uh, a perfect example is we, because we're in our own tool, we started looking at the cost of servicing customers yeah. in our tool, right? And in looking at the cost of servicing customers, uh, there's a certain customer type of customer where it costs us more and a certain type of customer where it costs us less. Knowing mm. that is, it allows us to make an adjustment to who it is that we want to to be clearer about who we're bringing in as customers. So just at the, you know, what would take a longer time to get to that point, because we're constantly monitoring and looking at this information, we were able to really quickly identify that we shouldn't be talking to some of these super early stage companies, right? That's not who we should be targeting because that costs us more to take care of them because they don't have some of the things that we need them to have, right. we should be talking to companies that are a little bit further down the funnel. So just different or companies that maybe they are earlier, but they're on the trajectory of being a super high growth company because we evaluate companies by their growth stage. That becomes a really important thing because it costs us more to service folks who don't have what we need them to have in order to pull them along. And it will probably cost them more uh, yeah. too because uh, they'll need other services in order to be prepared. So it's it's one of many markets that I I just think that people are just randomly in this like the last six months or so randomly trying to like plug AI into and just saying like, what happens if we do AI for this? There's just been so much of that on the market right now. What's your take on that about how it seems to, at least from, you know, my LinkedIn window and, you know, what I'm seeing, it's just taking over everything and you know, do you feel like you're ahead of the curve on that? Are you behind the curve? Are you trying to catch up? Oh, no, I think we're right where we're supposed to be. Honey. We are where we are supposed to that be. That was the right answer. <laughs> I love what's happening with AI and marketing, for example. I think mm -hmm. marketing has, has taken clear advantage of the technology, right, in this particular term. That's fine. I think there's other ways to utilize artificial intelligence that will continue to develop over time. I think, though, for us, the reason why, I mean, we, we machine learn, our analysis machine, all, everything is driven on machine learning like it's there. But I don't spend a lot of time talking about AI alone because it's the combination, again, of the two things that make this so critical right. for us. Where we stand alone 
is that we absolutely value human intelligence. Like it does not leave our system at any place in time. It is a, a part of the thing, right? It doesn't, and you can, it, it's self-service. You can access it on, you can do all your things, but we don't take the person out. So I don't have a reason. I can talk about how fast machine learning helps us to analyze data, how fast we can compile it because of technology. But at the end of the day, it's this experience that was built into the algorithmic elements in the back end. Mm -hmm. That's a person, right, that drove that. That's different than a bunch of data scientists, for example, who may not have growth related right. doing that work yeah. in a and I think, you know, as the pendulum swings from like, you know, a fully human process to what we're seeing now where people are trying to build these fully automated processes, I think the real winners in any space are going to be the, the companies like you that are figuring out how to maximize, you know, humans and AI, have them complement each other, each one to their own strengths and that's that's going to be the winning formula in any market, and you know you're you're an early leader in uh, in yours. Thank you. I I agree. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of times you ask about interdepartmental collaboration, and you're taking it to the next level. You know, you can't just be collaborating with human to human. You gotta you gotta yeah, it's human to robot collaboration. Catch up. And we we think next... it's important. Because people at the center of most companies' problem, if you think about any growth-related issue, right? And we talk about growth in, uh, right, you got revenues, you have size of companies, so people, and you have profits. When you think about any challenges there, they're all people related at their root. The root mm -hmm. cause is always people. So this idea of aligning people, and it is actually why we exist right so we we say we exist to create opportunity right though how to create opportunity is i mean there's all kinds of opportunity created the number one thing that i personally think is important is making sure that the opportunity for people to remain uh honestly connected right so when we're working together do we share a common language do we see things the same way because if marketing sees sales sees the sales numbers one way and sales sees the sales number another way how do you think the ceo feels common language is so important it's so often like in so many disagreements that i've had in business or or just kind of i say one thing and they say another and you know we have to kind of resolve our views which is fine and normal but so often it, it always as you drill down and try to understand what the true disagreement is and, and how you can resolve it, it always come back, comes back to, oh, I've been defining that term this way. And you've been defining that term that way. And like, you know, it's just totally, uh, it is. it's, it's, it's often the root of yeah. every problem. Yeah. Or I filter these numbers. I, yeah, I run that same report, but I filter it this way. Yes. <laughs> A minute, wait a minute. So with Suha, I don't look at those numbers. You don't get to filter it, honey. It's yeah. not, it's, we, we have filtered it for you. This is the filter. <laughs> We're all going to focus on this filter because it becomes so, so important. And now you've got product in there with the, the advancement in like PLG motions and stuff. Product mm -hmm. has a strong voice now in the, so now you got marketing and sales and products all 
talking and they must speak the same language because otherwise your leader, the CEO, for example, is going to be trying to grasp at what, well, which, which of these information, what, what's really true or mm -hmm. it becomes, well, whose information do I trust the most? Now we're talking about humans. So you know what happens when that happens, right? When people start questioning, well, whose information do I trust the most? Oh, now human emotion become become involved and now you got a toxic sort of cultural workplace that isn't uh that is also isn't sustainable so so many we we want to kind of start to tackle so much of what is fundamental and how businesses grow right and yeah. finding people is critical um you are a board member and totally non sequitur <laughs> you're a board <laughs> member of we can yes. um the women executive channel advisory network would love to hear more about that yeah so we can is a fantastic organization we we really focus on how to get women in tech companies into leadership positions why is that important because there are so few today <laughs> there and and it's really hard if you think about the number of it, it, i think the makeup of women in tech companies is somewhere around seven or eight percent i mean it's really a low number the leadership numbers don't that that number may not be 100 percent correct because a lot of times i focus on uh black women and i usually get the black women number i know is less is one percent so by the way so it's but so my i joined we can because i was really interested in being a part of the movement that would help women to go from just you know directors and you know middle managers in tech companies into uh senior and executive level leadership uh positions in those companies and these are positions that i held i mean i was uh a, a vp of business operations i was a, a vp of of business development and product strategy in tech companies. And I know how hard it was for me to build a career, right, in that mm -hmm. space. And it just, it's not for a lack of skill that women and specifically even women of color don't get into those positions. It's really a lack of opportunity. And so anything that I can do to be a part of creating that opportunity is, is what I'm interested in. And we can came and and asked if I would join the board and and because of what they do I thought it was great and they do it in nice you know in large organizations too which was meaningful because that's where you have a lot of folks working right who need to okay, make it. There. You have to let yeah. it happen I actually was curious can C model have any you know is there any weight in terms of DEI and and the, the many problems when it comes to staffing or staff overturn, things like that. Yeah. So we, we actually have customers who have come to us that can we track specific metrics mm -hmm. uh, related to DI. So where our engine would be liked is algorithms for recommendations on DEI, but mm -hmm. certainly at the tracking level, we can start there, right? Which mm -hmm. is, I have these DEI metrics that I need to track number of employees in these specific groups and in these things, and then you compare and correlate that to your business growth. That is a use case that we are actually on the path of with several of our customers. So um, yeah. yeah, but there are there are companies that already do this, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, they're new. There, there are several new organizations. I think 
the DEI directive being one of them, um, Diversed being another. Those are two companies that I know already help with DEI. Our goal would be to, to take that and compare it to business growth, right? So now, not only do I have the DEI metrics being tracked, but what's the comparative and correlative analysis to is my business growing or not? Is DEI a lever, right? right. Like, if I want to grow, can I go add people who look like X or can I go do these? That, that's where we would want to focus, but- um, And that's how you make real- scalable change happen so absolutely we we've learned a lot about how people look at their um dei outcomes um probably over the past um six months and one of the interesting gaps is this ability to tie their outcomes back to their actions when it Mm -hmm. comes to dei so there's a lot of actions going on Mm -hmm. but they're not knowing whether or not those are achievable or have been achieved in the very specific way that they prescribed them. So it's going to be interesting when that actually starts to happen and, and C-Model hopes to be a part of that. I, I'm reminded of a, a great book that I read a year or two ago called Weapons of Math Destruction. Have you heard of that? Weapons of Math? Math Destruction. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the book focused on kind of what we've just been talking about, about, you know, how can, you know, a, an algorithm or a model with or without humans, you know, help with the AI. But the the book focused a lot on the, kind of the dangers of it. That that there are so many algorithms kind of gone amok that would like you know an algorithm could read like well in this sales organization your top ten performers are all men so you should hire more men and obviously it's like not looking at you know why is it that the top performers are men? Like, you know, maybe there's something below that that you can change or fix. It just, it takes a very surface level view of it and then gives advice that perpetuate the bias that of the bias that went into training the model. And that, you know, a bias into a bias can just kind of like cycle out of control. And I was just reminded of that when by sharing your question and Tisha, your answer. This is the danger of data summaries. Mm -hmm. So summarized data is is just a a data summary. It's like the average of an average of an average, right? It's almost the same kind of thing. You you start to get faulty results after a while. So data summaries don't really help you to decide anything. And then a data summary on top of a data summary, and then you run, let's say you run an ML on data summaries guess what you're going to get? You can get faulty analysis because yeah. it's, you know, the inputs just aren't right. Right. So that that's one of my other challenges there. So, ah, weapons of math destruction. Yeah. Got it. Actually, it actually leads us well into a question that we love asking all of our guests. What do you read and who do you listen to, to go to, you're helping a lot of other people in, in your work and in your volunteering, but how do you, how do you help yourself to grow, learn, um, and broaden your horizons even more? Yeah. So let's see, what am I, uh, reading? So this runs the gamut because I, what I haven't been able to do is pick up a book and read the whole thing in, uh, in its entirety. I haven't been able to do that lately, but the latest 
of of my books is number one is on becoming a, a leader is one that I've been skimming a bunch because I've been and it's a, it's a it's an old book it's not new and it's about this thick so we're probably never gonna finish it but what I'm getting out of it is you know what does it actually take this as an executive you think you know everything right oh been there been there I've done that I've been yeah. in the been in the boardroom but when you start leading a company as an entrepreneur and how you build your team and how you actually lead and from an emotionally stable standpoint, that is much harder to do. So on becoming a leader is one of my top skims. I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I, I really like the 20 minute VC. I listen to him. Uh, I listen to that one. Harry Steppings. Yeah, yeah. Harry Steppings. I listen to him not necessarily just for him but it, he often has really good guests like his yeah guests are he has good questions he has a good nice stable list of questions but his guests are really good so i i like to listen to other uh ceos who have gotten beyond the point where i am today because uh, i like to listen to what they what their challenges are and, and the other thing i read is stuff like little magazine online magazine articles and i am not saying this one because i'm in it but the gtm magazine that julia nuchipsky the hype cycle team does i really like that one. so and you're in it and and i'm in it but uh, <laughs> but i i i mean i do enjoy that i also enjoy again not because i was on it <laughs> Sense of a pattern. I listen to Rosalind's uh, podcast, The Growth uh, Engine. So I do the Revenue Engine podcast. Mm. So, so I'm I'm big in the revenue. I love to hear about all the challenges that people are having actually growing their business because that's the number one thing that we all need to do in this stage. Yeah, that's a great list. Thank you. We got some homework to do. Well, Tisha Cable, thank you so much for coming and joining us in the Customer Cafe. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon.